Pastor Xavier Rees and the most effective principles of evangelism. The church is the bride of Christ and he alone saves and adds to the church daily. Such as are being saved. Not by church growth principles. Not by marketing principles. Not by miracle services. But by the preaching of the gospel. You understand? God does it. He adds to the church daily such as should be saved. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. When it comes to the church, what's love got to do with it? Well, according to Pastor Xavier, everything. Today, as he continues his study from the book of Acts, he opens up the door to one of the most important principles for growing God's church. Let's join him for today's Simple Truths study, God's People of Love. Jesus declared to a lawyer that the greatest commandment was to love God with all one's heart, soul, and mind. The second was to love one neighbor as oneself. And these two hung all the law and the prophets. This is to be the distinguishing mark of the church. And yet the Bible never hides the failures of its people nor seeks to disown them. But instead they are put to public viewing, warts and all. Love in the early church is characterized by the following. First, the power of love. Verse 32 to 37 of chapter 4. Secondly, we have the pretense of love. Chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. And then thirdly, we have the people of love. Verse 12 through 16 of chapter 5. Notice the united and harmonious oneness of the believers ascribed by the phrase of one heart and one soul. It's indicative of the unity as a community of God's redeemed. They had a common denominator, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, notice the believers were very benevolent, but they had all things in common. Things being for the needs of all, not just for their own needs. Willing to meet the needs that were presented. They had examples like Barnabas. One man is pulled out. He met some of the needs and trusted the apostles, having sold it. The land. He brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. The power of love was very evident in the early church. And notice secondly, verse 1 through 11 of chapter 5, we have the pretense of love. That's always a negative. It's always present. Okay? The book of Acts, our pattern. It says, but a certain man named Ananias was so far as his wife sold a possession. The couple stand in sharp contrast to Barnabas. The name Ananias means Yahweh is gracious or has graciously given from the Hebrew Hananiah. As we will see, he was not so gracious. He was a contradiction to his own name. He was grieving God. The name Sapphira means beautiful from the Aramaic, a precious stone. As we will see, she also was not a prized possession before God. She was a contradiction to her own name, unattractive to God. The couple stood in as hypocrites before God. And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias retained some of the money. You say, well, what's wrong with that? Well, let's follow the text. It says, the phrase kept back, it means to set apart for oneself. Ananias did what all others did, but not from a pure heart. 
understand this is the problem. Without doubt, others had not given all, but they didn't do it to appear as they did. And this is the scenario. They're before the congregation here. The gathering. Notice Ananias walked into the gathering, went to the apostles, laid it down, the money donated at his feet. And he and his wife wanted to appear benevolent like Barnabas without being like Barnabas. And he and his wife wanted the adulation and the honor deceptively that had been given to Barnabas honorably. The pretentious Ananias was confronted. In verse 3, Peter charged Ananias with his hypocrisy. The apostle points out the person he yielded to. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? Again, we have the contrasting conjunction. But Ananias was not doing what he said he was doing. The phrase, Satan filled your heart, means to yield to the influence and the leading of Satan. He did not have to yield. He gave place to it by choice. He allowed it to take place in the heart. That's where it takes place. Notice the apostle pronounced the personal front to lie to the Holy Spirit. Lying to the Holy Spirit and keeping back part of the money are not describing purpose as much as the result of Satan filling the heart. Because he allowed Satan to fill his heart, the result was this. You understand? Man can be deceived and lied to, but not God. Ananias had full control over the money to do what he willed or pleased. While it remained, was it not your own? Rhetorical. There's only one answer. Yes. And then Ananias is asked a simple question. Listen to it. Why have you conceived the thing in your heart? All deception is conceived, planned, and carried out in the heart. Jeremiah 79, Matthew 59. The heart. Notice Ananias was charged then with the sin against God. You have not lied to men, but to God. Underline that. Real simple. Sin is always first against God. Secondly, against man and with man. First is against God, the vertical axis. Now look at verse 5 and 6. Peter witnessed the clear divine judgment over Ananias. The execution of Ananias was immediate and final. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. The inhumation of Ananias was immediate without honor. And the young men rose up and wrapped him and carried him out and buried him. Now notice, verse 7 to 11, we have the participant and accomplice, Sapphira, who is confronted. Then Sapphira, his wife, came in not knowing what had happened. Totally oblivious to it. And then Mark verse 8, very important. Peter confronted Sapphira about her part in the matter. But Sapphira must have said something about the money donated. Because Peter is responding to her. She initiated. And Peter answered her. Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She must have said something about the land. Peter's giving her an opportunity to confess and repent. He said, why didn't he to Ananias? I don't think Peter knew what was going to happen. God just took care of it. Zap, boom. Notice the fire responded in the affirmative. She said, yes, for so much. She lied like her husband Ananias. She was committed in her heart to the pretentious deception of love. 
And so in verse 9, Peter then confronted Sapphira with her own hypocrisy. Peter accused Sapphira of challenging God by her sin. Listen, real closely. Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? She had agreed with her husband to test the Spirit of God. Putting God to test, Pirazo, to solicit to do evil and get away with it. Your children, my children, tempted us to see if they can get away. I don't tell them, they go like this. They're seeing if you're going to whack them. Some Christians are like that. They're so calm. They're always, well, I got away. What? You got away with it? Hey, be patient. He'll get to you. Hmm. Never confuse the mercy and grace of God for indifference or blindness. A sin of high hand, according to the Old Testament, willful, arrogantly. Numbers 15.30. Now notice Peter pronounces her death sentence. Peter pointed to the very man who buried her husband. Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door. And so Peter proclaimed they would do so to her also. And they will carry you out. Again, Peter probably didn't know about Ananias. When God struck him, he probably blew his mind. But now he knows that God's going to strike her. And he pronounces it. That's how we know. Peter and the entire gathering witnessed God's judgment on Sapphira. Verse 10 and 11. In verse 10, the execution of Sapphira was immediate and final, like her husband. She fell down at his feet and breathed her last. The inhumation of Sapphira was also immediate and without honor. And the young man came and found her dead and carried her out, buried her. By her husband. The reaction. Was immediate and effective. Like her husband. Don't miss all this. So great fear came upon all the church. And upon all who heard these things. Great fear. Same word. Phobos. We get our word phobia. Came upon the church. And all who heard. This ladies and gentlemen. I profess to you. Is was lacking. One of the things that's lacking in the church today. The fear of God. Both from the pulpit and the pew. This is the first time the word church, ecclesia, is mentioned in the book of Acts. The convened assembly of those who have been called out of the world. Ek, out, kaleo, to call. We've been called out of darkness into the light. Out of sin to live for Jesus Christ. Notice again... Great power, great grace, what? Great fear. 433-511. People have the hardest time with giving money to the work of God. They say oh, they can't afford it, but God says that you are to give from what you have, not from what you don't have. But as I've told you often, the minute we're born again, we're about 30 to 40% ahead financially. That next weekend, I'm not buying alcohol, drugs. I'm not going out and spending all kinds of money on personal entertainment that I shouldn't be doing anyway. And then the consequence of doing that, where I'm driving under the influence and I crash my car or, or get in a fight and have to go to the emergency war or get bailed out of jail or whatever. I mean, we're so far ahead the minute we're born again. And here we are asking, do I give God net or gross? Well, I don't know. You talk to God about it. How do you want Him to bless you? And we're holding 
a penny so tight that Lincoln's eyeballs, eyeballs pop out? Do you realize how far ahead we are as Christians? And that he gave everything and here we are? What an embarrassment it is to us. Am I using reverse psychology this morning? So the, No, no, no. We never pressure you here. But if we never fail on telling you what your privilege is to give to God. Paul puts it this way. 2 Corinthians 8, 12 through 14. As he writes to the Corinthians. Corinthians were carnal. They had pledged an offering a year ago. They were hanging on to it. He says, For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what one does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality that now, at this time, your abundance may supply their lack and their abundance also may supply your lack and there may be equality. In other words, no matter who you are, whatever God blesses you in proportion, you give. So the amount is not the issue, you understand? It's the heart. What does it cost? Do I only want to do things when it doesn't cost me or what? I mean, 2 Corinthians 9, Paul goes on. Verse 8 and 9, listen. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purpose in his heart. What do you purpose in your heart? Not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. Hilarious. If you can't jump up and down, don't jump. (laughs) <laughs> for God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work as it is written he dispersed abroad and he has given to the poor his righteousness endures forever that last statement I just read means this that you as a Christian live in such a way within your means that you're a good steward you don't rob God you're very gracious and you're gracious to others and you always put something away so that no one has to take care of you and when you get older you're helping others that's what it means as a Christian you understand? How are we doing? Hmm. God is concerned with your genuine life. And he's very aware if it's not. God struck Nadab and Abihu dead because they offered the first offering, taking a little boon's farm, barbecued him. Leviticus 10. God exposed David. Nathan said, you're the man, David. 2 Samuel 12. God struck down the Corinthians with sickness and, and death. Because they dishonored the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 11.3 All things are open and naked to him whom we have to do. Hebrews 4.12 says. We deceive no one but ourselves. Judgment begins at the house of God. 1 Peter 4.7 says. And if we scarcely be saved, what will happen to the ungodly? The pretense of love was in the early church as it is today. Notice thirdly. We have the people of love. 12 through 16. 12 through 14, the people love were the loving instrument of God. The apostles became the extension of the love of God to heal. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. Notice the signs were done sovereignly by God. Not a few, but many. God just did them. The word sign means what a person is distinguished from another. As is known. The idea has to do with pointing people to God who is manifesting this deed. It is not human. It is not in the realm of man. The practice of laying hands, as you know, is simply an act of faith. We pray that God would touch you, benefit you. It has nothing to do with the hands. The hands are not miraculous. They don't have any special power. 
the wonders were the miracles or healings that made the people to be in amazement. Oh, wonder. Figure it out. How could that be? It's the act or deed performed causing one to be awestruck over the miraculous. The person contemplating the fact that they observed as a work of God, potentially. Now, the important fact to know about signs, wonders, and miracles, and healing, or any work, is that God is the one who's doing it. They do not save people. Miracles don't save people. They may cause people to contemplate and think maybe there is a God, but they don't save people. They may cause a person to consider the cause of investigation of the scriptures. And as they come to the scriptures, then people are saved by the gospel. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Romans ten seventeen. You're saved by the gospel. And then you're the greatest miracle. The new birth. You're a witness of the greatest miracle. You're there. Notice the people of God became a family of love. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. The phrase in one accord means of one mind and one passion. Eleven of the twelve times this appears in the New Testament. It's found in the book of Acts. The unique harmonious condition of the Christian community in unison. Was it perfect? Nope. If you're looking for the perfect church, when you find it, don't join it. You'll ruin it. The church is made up of people. That's the problem. People like you and me. And if we don't walk in the Spirit, we're bad news. You understand me? We can be the biggest jerks. We can be the biggest pains. We can be the biggest babies in the world. Amazing. One heart and one soul. Synonymous. Committed daily. Notice the location of their gatherings repeated. The porch of Solomon. Where the layman was... Healed in chapter 3 verse 11 where they continue to fellowship in chapter 2 verse 43 in the temple. Why? Because that's where the people are. That's where the lost are. You don't go out to the desert, preach to the horny toes and lizards, contemplate your navel. The people who observed the people of love admired them from a distance though. Look at there was a healthy fear of the holiness of the church. Yet none of the rest dare join themselves. The word join means to glue they thought twice. Today you say, hey, are you Christian? Oh, yeah. Next time say, hey, are you, are you Christ-like? They go, what? I think we should think about it. There was an acknowledged respect for the believer. But the people esteemed them highly. The word esteem them highly means to declare great. Some of them didn't want, be, want to be one of them, but they said, boy, those guys are too much. You understand? Look at 14 and 15. The people of love were growing in number, demonstrating their love to others. In verse 14, the individuals continued to be joined to the believers. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. The commentary on this one is back to chapter 2, verse 47. The Lord was adding to the church daily those who were being saved. The Lord does it. Look at 15. The individuals born again were contagiously compassionate, reaching out to the ill that God might heal them in love. They had come to know the power of God in their lives and they wanted others to know Him. 
and experienced him. So that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, two different things. The couches that recline and the others that lay down. Compassion. It says that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. This was a pagan belief that some of the people coming out of the paganism kind of just said, well, that if you went under the shadow of a holy man or, or medicine man or something like that, then he might heal you or you might be imparted some virtue or something. <laughs> Notice the text does not say they were healed by the shadow. This is what they said. Look at 16. The individuals from afar also brought sick and demon-possessed. They, they did not limit God. The crowds for the first time came from outside Jerusalem. Did you notice that? Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem. Bringing back people, sick people, and those who were tormented by unclean spirits. Don't miss what it says. The entire number of individuals were healed. And they were all healed, it says in verse 16. And verse 16 includes those of 15. Because it says, verse 16, it says, also the multitude. The healing is for both verses. The Bible teaches that the leaders of the church are to pray for the sick. That God would move sovereignly. Listen to Hebrews 2.4. Here's the commentary on all healing, all miracles. Listen very carefully. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. The apostles and disciples did miracles according to God's will. Not, they had no ability to turn it on and off. God does it. The church is the bride of Christ and He alone saves and adds to the church daily. Such as are being saved. Not by church growth principles. Not by marketing principles. Not by miracle services, but by the preaching of the gospel, the need of man's repentance from sin, by the grace and the atoning work of Jesus Christ, who died and rose for you and sits at the right hand of the Father. You understand? He adds to the church daily such as should be saved. The problem today is people are building their own church who are not under control of the Holy Spirit, and all they're doing is creating a potential time bomb. For since the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews requested a sign, the Greeks seeking wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews stumbling block to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jew and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, that... Not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Your pastor is of the most common stock in the world. Born in Mexico City, moved to the United States in 57, raised in East LA, then Montebello, then Baum Park. Chief of sinners, God saves me and calls me to ministry. And I have to trust God. You understand? The people of love were contagious in the early church. Are you infected? Love in the early church was characterized by the power of love. The power of love was very evident. 
the early church. The pretense of love was in the early church. It still is in the church today. Pastor Xavier Reese had the long arm of love. Copies of today's Simple Truth study titled God's People of Love are available on CD for just $4. And this will also include what Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together. So once again, the title to ask for is God's People of Love, or simply mention today's date. And you can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for helping us by including the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This information is helpful when we check on the impact of this outreach in your area. Be sure to join Pastor Xavier Reese next time when he looks at the marks of a healthy church. That's right here on Simple Truths. I hope you'll invite a friend and be back with us. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com